So we've been talking about the book of John, and we're going to continue on it. This is going to be a continuation from last week. The last couple of weeks, we've been uh, preaching, uh, well, the series is called Dear John, so I'm super excited, and I'm just going to continue until the Spirit of God tells me otherwise, and I, every week it's just been you know, the way we've just been diving into what's been going on. And today we're going to dive into John chapter 6. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I want to get to it now because uh, I don't have as much time as I would like. But regardless, God's in control and I know his will will be done. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's get to it. John chapter 6 verse 1 through 13. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. If you were with me these last couple of weeks, the first five chapters you've seen a lot, and I'll get back to some of it while I'm in the preaching. I want you to understand that now Jesus is popular. <laughs> Not only because of what he says and because he, well, we all know that he is the Messiah. But remember, Jesus shows up now. People, who's this Jesus? And little by little, he's performing miracles. He's healing people that are sick. The lame is, you know, the, the people that, that are paralyzed are walking. And, and the blind people are starting to see. And people start talking about things like this. So now Jesus' popularity has grown immensely. So this is where we are here on verse Two, it said, now Jesus finally, he's crossed, he's on, he's crossing to the Sea of Galilee. And now you can see here, people followed him because they saw the signs that he performed and on, uh, by healing the sick. Verse 3 goes, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, pay attention church. So now Jesus sees a large crowd. Let's pretend, well, no, I'm not going to say let's pretend I'm Jesus, but let's just pretend Jesus is, you know, you know let, me, let me rephrase that. Let's pretend we're thousands of years before we're all sitting in this mountain and Jesus is here and he sees a large crowd. And now his disciples are next to him. Now Jesus is saying, hey, Philip, put up there verse 5. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I love what it says here in verse chapter, in chapter, in, uh, excuse me, verse six. It says he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. How many of you know that Jesus is all knowing and all powerful, and He is God? Someone say Amen. I'm going to get into this now, right after I'm done reading the the story. When I when I finish. Um, uh, uh, reading till 13. Look what it says. Look what Philip responded to Jesus after Jesus asked him, what are we going to do? And then here, Jesus, uh, Philip said to Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for all these people. There are thousands of people here, by the way. Another disciple, Andrew Simon Peter broke, brother spoke up, said, here is a boy with five bar barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go with so many? Look what it says here in verse, in, in verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 
let me, let me do a quick little parenthesis adding to that parenthesis. This says 5,000 men. If you read in the other Gospels, you can also see this story is all in Mark and in, in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were in the Gospel of John. John said about 5,000 men were there. If you look at the other Gospels, it would tell you that there was thousands of families there. Women and children aren't accounted for in this number. Someone say amen. So that's just a little extra parenthesis. Just, just God, man, this, this, is, this is an amazing story. And I'm sure many of you have heard of it, but we're going to get deep into it now. Verse 11 says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of, of the five barley loaves of bread left over by those who had eaten. A miracle occurred, ladies and gentlemen. A miracle occurred. Now I want to get to, let's, let's talk about verse 5 one second. We all know what happened, the whole story. Jesus, he sees this multitude of individuals. They were all hungry. Jesus asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He says here, where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? Asking Philip when he already knew the answer. He already knew that it was going to be a miracle. He's Jesus. But guess what, church? If you look at the previous chapter, like when we spoke last week, there was a man that was sitting by the pool, this pool by the sheep gate, and he was, he had been sitting there for 38 years, the Bible says. Jesus shows up, sees this man, sees many people that were sick, disabled, lame, blind, people that wanted to get healed. So when Jesus shows up through this sheep gate and sees this individual in the previous chapter, he asked the same question. He asked a similar question, and he said to this man that was sick, do you want to be healed? I've been here for 38 years, Jesus, of course I want to be healed. Hey, do you think, and then when you jump, why is it that Jesus, now in this chapter 6, the very next chapter, when he's here, and he, why would he ask Philip a question he knows the answer to? You see, because Jesus, this is the perfect way of, for us to understand that we have free will and liberty. We have choice. We have a choice. We're not robots. We're not designed to automatically do. It would be nice if we read the Bible and we never made any mistakes and never questioned God and just did exactly what he said all the time. That's one of the reasons. Another one of the reasons is God wants to see the measure of your faith. By the measure. Oh, come on, someone. You see, now... Not only, does he, not only does he want to see, first, he wants, to let, he wants you to understand you have a choice. Second, he wants to see your measure. And then he also wants to let everyone in the room also know that he's God. And that when you trust in him and you position yourself in the right place, and you give to God with what you have, he can show you how he can surprise you and multiply. Oh, come on, church. 
He could, you give God what you have, you will see the multiplication process in such an extraordinary way. You may say you only have X amount of, I'm, I'm only, man, I only make X amount of dollars a week. I only do this. I can't make a difference. Here's a small boy. This little boy only had five loaves of bread. There's thousands of people there. So what are you going to do? Are you going to question God and say, wait, look, Jesus did this because he's God and he knows perfectly well that, that, that Philip was going to say. Before getting to the boy, I'm going back to this man now. These are men now. Here's God. Here's him telling him, what are we going to do? The first thing, what do we do? Think carnally. And well, we think with our carnal minds and we're going to say, hey, well, we got to find money to pay for all these people. It'll take a year, half a year's wages. I can't afford this now to pay for all these people's meals. And then you see what happens after. Another disciple, Andrew, spoke up. His faith was a little bit, you know. He had a little more than just saying he had to go by. Now there's five thousands and thousands of people in this place. And then you see now... One person thought we got to find a way to get all this money in order for it to happen. He had one type of mentality. Which isn't totally wrong because Jesus would have, Jesus could have easily, Jesus could have easily had told him, hey, look, under that rock, go find a bunch of gold. And he could have probably went and bought thousands of, you never know how God can, <laughs> come on someone. You never know what kind of door Jesus could open for your life. Andrew now says, here's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. You see, he was getting to the right direction, but even then he still limited himself because he was only looking at what was in front of him. Now remember, what is it when you have faith, man, when you know that your God is the God that can multiply all your needs? You don't look at what you have right now in the physical. You look at what God says. You look at, man, what the power that there is no limit. Who am I to limit what God can do? That was in the song. You can put your hands together, church. Amen. Who are you to limit God? Just because you see this little bit, you think God doesn't look at the quantity. He looks at the quality. I'm going to say that again. God does not look at the quantity. He looks at the quality. Because there could have probably been a really rich guy. Who knows how many thousands of people that were there that were hungry. Probably some had more money than others. Lord, the Lord knows. But this story isn't about that. This story is about some humble individual that only had what he had. We may look at it and, it, and it's great that it's a boy. Because it's a reason why, there's a reason why in the Bible and how it's just... It's incredible because the Lord tells us in order for you, we got to come to God as if we were children. It's important and it's interesting that it was a boy that gave Jesus this bread and not some, it could have just been some man or some woman or some, but it was a child. Because the child heart represents exactly how God wants each and every one of us to come at him. And why is that? Well, because a child has a heart of dependency. A child is an innocent individual. A child doesn't worry about what it's going to eat. A child isn't worried about if it's going to sleep. It shouldn't be worried about those things. So unfortunately, we live in a world where we have to be there to help. And amen. That's why we're here too. Amen. To be a blessing. That's another topic. But in this case, I want you to focus on this boy, what he represents. 
It represents each and every one of us here, or at least how we should be. Am I preaching to someone saying amen? I think I heard someone on the internet saying amen from their home. Put your hands together. How should we react? First, as a child. Because that child comes dependent. I trust in God. Blindly. Because I believe that mom and dad are going to get me some food on my table. Are going to give me a place to sleep. You don't want to worry your children about that. I know as a parent, that's the last thing I want them to worry about. What do you think your God, your father in heaven, the one that knew you before you were born, the one that had the plan, come on now. What do you think? He doesn't want you to worry about the things you're worried about. He wants you to depend on him 100,000%. So you got to come to God as a child. And now as a child, this child gave him what he had. So stop thinking that what you have is not enough. Oof, I know I'm talking. I'm going to go on this side of the room. Stop thinking what you have is not enough because you're worried about the guy in this sitting next to you, the person sitting next to you. Who cares about what the person next to you has done? Amen. God bless him, but don't allow that to block what God has for your life. Because what's going to happen is the enemy's going to tell you, don't do this, don't give in this manner, stop doing that because you're just a child. It's only five loaves, it's only two pieces of fish. It's not enough to feed 5,000, thousands of people. Come on, church. Your blessing is thousands. But if you don't give it to God and position yourself, how is he going to multiply it? I'm running on this way. I'm excited this morning. And you should be excited too. Because the Bible says the truth will set you free. I'm trying to be free in every area of my life. And when we talk about giving... We're not necessarily always talking about money, but this is one kind of way. Money is definitely an issue, and it could be a huge blessing or it could be a big issue for your life. Because if your trust is in your bank account, like a child, you're not like a child. The child is completely dependent on their father. And money is an issue because money makes makes your trust lean a little towards more on how much you got left in your bank account than what God says. Now, I'm not telling you to give, if God tells you to give all the five loaves of bread and all the fish, that's all the boy had. Some of us have a problem giving up half of the fish. (laughs) If you had five loaves of bread and two fish and that's all you had, I'll pray to God some of you give 10% of that. (laughs) Well, that's between you and God. But let me tell you what happened. (laughs) You know the story. This boy positioned himself in such a way, in such a manner. That after he gave God everything, every single person there ate. And not only that, look what it says here. Someone give glory to God. Because in the measure in which you give is the measure in which you will be. Come on, bless somebody. Church, not about the quantity. It's about the quality. Look what he says here. In verse 12. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So he gathered them filled 12 baskets filled with the pieces of the five barley that were baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten and the fish. Someone say amen. 
when you are obedient to your God and you stop allowing the enemy to tell you what you have isn't enough, it's just scraps, stop thinking like that. This is for you. You need to understand you must position yourself in such a way so that you can be blessed beyond measure and, man, your cup will be running over like you have no idea. Because you are showing God that you trust in him. But, yeah, God's all-powerful. God's all-knowing. It wasn't until the boy gave Jesus what he had in order for Jesus to multiply it. Why do I have to do it? Well, because it's just a biblical principle, guys. And it's all throughout the scripture. Just like he told the man that was, the man that was, that was in the pool last week, excuse me, that he thought the pool was going to heal him. Jesus told him, hey, listen, man, get up, you are healed. He got up, he was healed. Like the man a couple of verses, been a couple of chapters back, Jesus had put spit on the dirt, grabbed it, put it in the man's eye, the, guy, the individual that was blind, go to the pool and wash it off and you'll be healed. There's certain things you have to do. You have to put action behind your faith. Because faith without works, Papa Frita. That means it's dead in a weird Cuban way. It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. That's why the Bible also says it's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You got to give to your king in order for him to multiply, not only financially, but also with your health, also with your stress, also with your worries, also like a child, you need to be dependent, knowing that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he will never let you, man, go hungry, go weary. There's hope. You just need to position yourself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call up. My father has something to say real quick tying this in. And we still got some time. Praise the Lord. But before I do this, I want you to think of it. I don't know if you guys have ever watched basketball before or some type of sport. A game where, like, it's the final seconds and you need to make that winning shot, that basket. You know, it's like a, or like the last touchdown or the last goal or the last point in a tennis match, just bear with me. And you guys will understand what I'm saying. And I'm going to end it with this. There's always going to be someone that's going to try to defend you. There's always going to be opposition. Jesus had it. It is written. It's going to happen. Stop praying that there won't be any opposition, church, because it's going to happen. It's you're called, you're, you're marked by God. The devil doesn't like you. He hates you. You're going to have some people trying to defend and stop you from making that final shot. In this case, will be the blessing of your life, okay? Let's pretend that's the case here. So now you have one set. You have two seconds left. Once you get that ball, you got to either make the goal immediately. You have only one chance to do it. But you need to position yourself in a way that when that individual throws you that inbound pass, you don't want to have 20 defenders all around you. You want to be in a position where you have a nice chance to make a clean shot. You see, the same works with God. The same works with us. If you don't position yourself, it's impossible for you to even grab the inbound ball. You won't even have a chance to take the shot. 
You see, the shot's always going to go in because, you know, man, when you trust in God, you're never going to lose. But you need to give yourself and position yourself in the right place so when you receive that pass, you'll make the golazo, you'll make that last final second shot. Because once it's in the air, then, man, God is going to take care of the rest. Someone put your hands together. And the same works with your personal life. You need to position yourself and allow God to do what God does. He's the multiplier. Someone say, amen. Come on up here, Father. You want to say something? <laughs> Tremendous. Very good, Hallelujah. You're, you're earning your salary now. Oh, man, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm telling you. The pastor, come on now, come on, church. Positioning, that, that's what inspired me now when you say positioning. That's what I, wow, this is so tall. Put this down, please. Well, I just want to share some things about positioning. Because, yeah, that's fine. Positioning is so important. It's extremely important, positioning. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ, he'll position you. And, uh, Give me the Second Corinthians five seventeen. We're, we are positioned, and we realize the position that God has given us because He He's responsible to position us. But then we are responsible to maintain the position, and that's why we miss it. That's why we miss it. It says, "Put it there. Put it there. Put it here. Put it here." Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anybody's in Christ here? Raise your hand if you're in Christ. All right, that means that this is so interesting because it's not just, it says if anybody's in Christ. When we receive the Christ, when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is in us. But here it doesn't say if, if anyone, Christ is in you. Is you in Christ. What this means is that you have to be aware that when you receive Jesus Christ in your heart, Jesus Christ receives you in your heart, in his heart. It's a thing that takes place at the same time. The Bible in Ephesians says that you are seated. In, in high places in, with Jesus Christ. You know that? You are sitting right beside the Father in heaven. You know why? Because even though Christ is in you, you are in Christ's heart too. This is a tremendous mystery, but it's a very powerful mystery if you get to know it and accept it even though you may not understand it. Because you are here. But still you are here, but the Bible said that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So is the, is the Bible confused? Is God lying? No. I may be physically here, but in faith, I'm there with Jesus. Now, the Jesus is there in flesh and blood. But he is here in my heart and in your heart in faith. This is so powerful. This is so tremendously powerful. It is powerful to the point that will make you see things different. Because this is not the point 
that you are looking for Jesus, Jesus is in you. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father within Jesus. And you know what the right hand means? Place of authority. That is the authority you have here. So for you to understand that you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you, make you makes a difference. Makes the difference of how you're going to look at the world. Makes the difference how you look at the things that are going to happen. The attacks you're going to have in your life. The vision that you may have for your future things. I'm telling you, God will position you in a very powerful, winning manner. Say, I'm a winner. Say it. Okay, put that back, put that back. Say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is so powerful. You are a new creation. You know what I mean when I mean a new creation? You are not what you were. God has recreated you again. What does that mean? That means that you are a new creation. You are not what you were before. Now you are a new race. You are a new, a new group. It's a creation that was not before. You are not anymore from uh, Alabama or Miami or Guatemala, whatever it may be. You are a new creation specifically for those that are in Christ and that Christ is in you. It's a race. I'm giving you information now. But this information needs to have revelation in your heart. Because, but you cannot have a revelation unless you have information. How do you look at yourself? You need to have information and they believe it and you must see yourself within that pattern of what you are believing in. It's the same thing. The Bible says, call those things that are not as though they were. Have you ever read that in Romans 4? Call those things that are not as though they were. So it's not what you see, it's what you believe based on what God believes. It's not that you believe because you believe. I believe because God says it, and whatever he says, I believe. I'm changing my way of thinking. I'm, I, I'm changing my way of being because it's not what I deduce anymore. It's under his logic, not my logic, that I have accepted. I have stopped to say, I believe in God. Now I have to say I believe in God and I believe what he says. Two different things. You're going to believe in God and really not believe what he says. Oh, you may believe some things. But many things that God says, many Christians doubt it. And they come to the point, we have to be realistic. Being realistic means you get to stop believing what God says for you to believe. Because you're going to believe in realities. And facts. 
We believe in realities and facts when God does not speak. But the word of God, when God speaks, you see, there are realities, but there's only one truth. Only one truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So it's only one truth. That means that, you see, even facts, facts are realities, but facts can change. Even in a court of law, according to the new witnesses or whatever, facts may change. Facts are one way, but there could be other realities that are brought in, and that is change. Everything in life I don't care how real they are, they are subject to change, but the truth never changes. Because the truth comes from God. So you deal with realities and evidences as long as the Lord doesn't speak. And that's when it comes that you have to either believe or not believe. And you are could be one of those Christians that I, I believe in God, but about this, about that, I may believe, I may not believe, I still am not totally convinced. No, 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 no. If God says it, I believe it. I say that if God says it, I believe it. I said that if God says it, I believe it. Woo! Tremendous. Put that back there, boy. Praise the name of Jesus. Can you find it again? I didn't know. I didn't say none of that. Put it in second. What is the second? What, what's going on, boy? Drop the bottle. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation, new creation. All things. Now I'm a new creation. I'm a new race. God sees me different. Therefore, all things have passed away. Because I'm not into that anymore. I am not in that territory anymore. God, has, God is placing me, positioning me in a new territory because I'm a new creation. A new creation. Therefore, I'm into this new territory. There's nothing new, no, nothing old there. And all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Become new. That word become, really, in the original, not only says become, it's even deeper than become. It's that God has made things for you. Is that God has developed new things for you. You do not know yet who you are. And your goal should be for you to start getting deep in the word to find out who God is now. To find out who, who are you. What God has made of you. What God has developed you into being. That's why you should be in a position that you will never lose. 
Because when Jesus left the tomb, the sepulcher, and he won, you are a winner with him. Now they may, you may, it may be sometimes they, you may think you lost, but you haven't lost. You are in a process of winning and God has to change those bad things into good things for you to save your victory. Don't ever think you have lost, even it may appear that you have lost. Because, hey, this is saying that said, the show is not over until the fat lady sings. <laughs> Give the Lord a hand. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, if any Christ, anybody in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The enemy wants to try to bring to your mind all things, all pains, all feelings, all whatever. But you got to reject declaring who you are now. Whenever you are faced like that, you just say, hey, I'm a new, cre new creation. All these things have passed away. That doesn't exist anymore. The devil may try to bring you to your mind how you were before you received Jesus. You know? The things you did. The things they done to you. And... You're going to say, hey, I don't remember that. You know, that doesn't exist. Because they don't exist because God has placed you in a new territory. And those things doesn't belong to you anymore. That's what I want you to realize. It doesn't matter what you've done if you have repented. The blood of Jesus washes you. That is the spiritual detergent that will cleanse you. You understand? After you are clean, you are clean. After you are clean, you are clean. So it's the same thing. Spiritually, you are clean. And in that path, everything is different. So when all the dirt that you have went through before in that other road, other territory, the devil wants to say, hey, you remember that? What you did, this and that. that was, he wants to place culpability, guilt in you. No, 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 no. That doesn't exist. I'm now in another territory. Of course, you tell, if you tell this to people that do not believe like you believe, they're going to think you are crazy. What do you care what they think? They're not going to... What do you care what they think? You only care what God thinks. He's the one that's going to resolve your problems. He's the only one that's going to take you where you want to be taken to. And uh, great things are going to be happening from now on. And what I'm, I'm trying to this teaching the most I can in this area. Because I want people to be ready to receive great things that are going to come. Great things are going to be coming, but they're going to be in that new path. All right, you have to be. Uh, you have to be 
unmovable. You have to be unmovable. You got to be an untouchable. You got to look at yourself, not for you to be proud or be, uh, you know, but for you to be sure of your, what, who you are. When we are sure who we are, sometimes we have been mistaken that we are pride. We're in a proud, pride trip. But you know in your heart you're not proud. You're going to fight that like any normal, natural person. But you have to realize, I am what God says I am. I am what God says I am. I have what God says I have. So people will say, are you nuts? Other Christians may say that, that they may not be exposed to this revelation. There are Christians that believe that they have to suffer in order to walk the walk. No, I don't have to suffer. If I would believe that I have to suffer to receive spiritually what I need, that means that I'm saying that Jesus did not complete it, this, his thing. Jesus completed all his suffering and all that he had to, to do for me to be who I am now. You follow what I'm trying to tell you? You don't have, you're not coming here to suffer. You're coming here to show the world the suffering of Jesus and what has been achieved by, the, by Jesus' suffering. Praise God. So, we're called to love. And I'm going to tell you right, right quick. I got to go. Uh, well, Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Have you heard that? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So as much as we hear the word, faith grows in our heart. Faith is extremely important because that's what the Bible says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith are your spiritual hands. With them, they, you take what are part of your inheritance. So God has many things for you, but it doesn't matter if he has them if you don't take them. You must take what God has for you. And that's with faith. How do I take it? Believing what he says, even though it may seem impossible, you believe it. And as you believe it, the, the more impossible it is to believe it, the more the, the riches or, or the goodness of what you're going to receive are there. Because you are believing when everybody says that cannot be done. You're going to believe it because God said so. And that's when you take what God is saying you can take. So, faith is extremely important. First of all, how does it come? By hearing the word. As you hear the word, you uh, receive that seed of the word and it will grow in you. Faith will grow because you hear, you hear, you hear, you receive. But the problem we have is that say, well, but... Okay, I hear, I hear the teachings, I hear this, I read the word, I hear it, but it, it's not working for me. And it's sometimes that we have messed up. Faith comes by hearing, 
But faith does not work by hearing. They're two different things. Faith comes by hearing, but faith does not work by hearing. Galatians says that faith works by love. Huh? Put Galatians there. Faith working through love. So, love, and this, is a, this is a tough thing because if you want your faith to work, you're going to have to walk in love. You can have faith that you, you, your heart could explode because of the amount of faith you have. That's why you can go into a Bible institute and have a hundred in the, in, in the test. Because you know it will. It's there. But you cannot project it. Because for the projection for it to grasp, love must be there. And then love has a lot of ramifications. How many people have you not forgiven? You yet has a cross. You know, you, you have a hassle. You have a beef with some people still. There are many things you have to check yourself. So you are a Christian and sometimes you love to gossip. Oh, I don't like to gossip. I just like to hear gossiping. Well, you know what I mean? You get to understand. You gossip. You judge people. All these things that will be an obstacle for you to receive or to allow love to be projected. And... Uh, And your house. The Bible says that God is going to judge you in that area. Because it's a reward. He will reward you. If you have love, he'll reward you. Giving you and giving you, giving you. That's why some Christians have more than others. And it's because of love. Because of love. Love. Maybe they don't know as much. They don't have as much faith as you have. As much knowledge. But they love and remember, Jesus died to, for you because of love. Everything is based on love. You are, you are not going to hell because of the love of Jesus Christ to you. So, this is it. This is it. This is it. So, uh, God will reward you. And Josh starts, uh, give me a second, first Peter. What was the first Peter one? Is it? I have it there, but I give you the thing, but I can see that uh, I have to pray for all of you. Bendito Cristo de la Gloria. Bendito Cristo. You know what Bendito Cristo means? First Peter four seventeen. For it is time for judgment to begin. This is important. It's time. All right? God is the judge. It's judgment. Judgment does not mean here that you're going to, well, God is going to judge. If you, and the time has come. You see, Jesus is coming soon. You think that everything that is happening around you, how tough bad things are, what's happening in Israel, all those things, 
Man, God is the time has arrived. God is going to judge. He's coming soon from his church. You better start believing in rapture because we are leaving. We are leaving. He's coming for his church. And his church are those who have Jesus in their hearts. So that's one thing. But there's another group, a group that has received the Lord, and he's going to judge also in order to release the blessings of the last days. Because the worst that is happening in this country and the worst that is happening in the world, the best that is going to happen to the people of God in these last days. And there is a movement, a tremendous financial movement is coming for you people. Are you listening to me? You better start believing it and allow God to judge you positively.